Hello, everybody. It's Pastor Kevin from Calvary Chapel, Clayton, North Carolina, and I'm here with another episode of The Biblical Perspective, a show where we look to the Word of God concerning the things that we see going on in our world. And today I've got uh, quite a bit I want to cover with you. We've been looking at the prophetic timeline. The next point of that is the falling away, of which I want to spend some time with you on that today. I hope you're doing well. Let's get into the Word. As we go back to our timeline, remember the last time we were together, we went through these things, uh, the establishment of Israel, the signs increasing like birth pains. And remember last time we were together, I told you that that's where we are. We're in those birth pains as things are happening in the world and they are progressing towards um, the end time scenario. Uh, many of you love the, the fact that I put the video down with the earthquakes last time. I'll try to add a few more that I found um, for your enjoyment. But today we're going to look at the falling away, the falling away, which is something that I believe affects the church. And as things are um, moving fast, um, how much time we have, we don't know, obviously. But I do know that these things are going to happen, I believe, prior to the rapture of the church and specifically the falling away. And in order to look at the falling away, we need to go back into 2 Thessalonians. So on your screen, check it out. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, verse, uh, 2, we're going to cover a couple of verses. Notice he says again, for context sakes, now brethren concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be so soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as from us as though the day of the Lord had come. Now remember, you really need to go back and listen to a teaching that I did, which I'll link below in 2 Thessalonians where I cover all of this in greater detail. But notice what he says in verse three, let no one deceive you by any means for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless a falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things and now you know what is restraining. So Paul is saying that when I was with you, I taught you all about the end times we know that there is currently a restraining force in the world, which is the Holy Spirit in the church. And so you don't have to worry that day of the Lord hasn't begun yet. Remember, the day of the Lord is when Jesus takes the scroll out of his father's hand, Revelation chapter five, and he begins to unleash his wrath upon the world. And that lasts for seven years. And then he returns to establish his kingdom. The day of the Lord means that it's a day where Jesus Christ be begins to literally rule and reign and he takes over it's different from the time that we are currently living in where the little god of this world satan is if you will manipulating and causing great deception now let's look at verse three in detail let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless a falling away comes first number one and then the man of sin is revealed so there's going to be this event that's called the falling away. And after that happens, the man of sin will be revealed. 
but he's currently being restrained by the Holy Spirit so we can kind of see where the rapture is probably going to fall in all of this, that there's going to be a falling away and then the church will be raptured as the man of sin is being revealed and then the world begins to experience his rule very short seven year period of time and then the Lord returns. But what is the falling away and what is that going to look like for the Christian church to see? Well, First, the falling away, the word in the Greek is apostasia. If you have a Strong's concordance, it's Strong's uh, G646, and it's apostasia. It means a defection or apostasy. Um, it's only used twice in the New Testament. It's used here, and the other time it's used is in Acts chapter 21, verse 21, where they're accusing Paul of causing the Jews to apostasia against Moses to turn away or defect from the law. So it's used that way there. And so what it speaks of is there's going to come a time when there's going to be a massive falling away or a defection from something. And what it seems to mean within the uh, New Testament context is that there's going to be a period of time where many who appear to be Christians today or in, in times past at least, but then we're going to begin to see them defect from the faith. Now, do we see that anywhere else in Scripture? We absolutely do. First Timothy chapter four, four, verses one and two on your screen. Paul said to Timothy, now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some would depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. We're going to see that begin to take place as we move into the uh, the last days uh, and, and get close to these things wrapping up. And I believe that we've already begun to see this. We'll see false teachings rise, um, which are going to say, set the stage for this. People defecting from the true Christian faith. Even today, we have false teachings that are plaguing the church. We have the prosperity gospel which causes people to begin to think about themselves in a very covetous way. We have the word of faith movement, which hides within the charismatic movement and often within the Pentecostal movement. And, um, and with that word of faith comes certain doctrines such as positive confession. Uh, one of the most common is the teaching that is found uh, in, in, in a particular area of the New Testament, um, this speaking things into existence. Uh, where they, they claim that they can speak those things that are not as though they are. Uh, that's one of the huge examples of this. We see that. And they, what they're doing is they're misquoting Romans chapter 4, verse 17. Let me show it to you briefly. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. We'll, we'll, for context, we'll look at 16 too. On your screen, notice it says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And so many in this word face movement quote this verse saying that we have the power to call those things into existence that are not as though they may. And they misquote it because what God is saying is in what Paul, uh, the writer of Romans, Paul is saying is that 
It's God who made a promise to Abraham that he would make him the father of many nations when he was he had no children and was too old to have any. So in other words, God, who would work a miracle and make something happen that could not have happened otherwise. So therefore, the verse says that it's God who gives life to the dead. Abraham and Sarah's reproductive uh, abilities being dead, if you will. And it's God who calls things as though uh, things which are not uh, things which do not exist as though they did. And this is something that God does. But the word of faith people have taken it and use it to promote their positive confession doctrine, false teachings that begin to plague the church. And the problem with these teachings is that they take the focus off of God and put it on man. In fact, they teach that we are gods. They go as far as to do that, which is the same thing that Satan taught Eve within the garden. False prophecies, uh, excuse me, false practices which would arise, holy laughter within the church, satanic movements within worship that resemble um, witchcraft and, and things that are practiced by uh, those who worship Satan, uh, opening oneself up to spirits, if you will, new age beliefs, which lead to things such as grave soaking and the ability to channel certain spirits, things that are not found in scripture, which have nothing to do with that which we've already been taught. Remember, it was Paul that said, if anybody comes to you with a different gospel than what we've already received, then let them be anathema, cursed. False worship, Satan uses music to lead people astray as well. Uh, music heightens our emotions and, and, and if you will, uh, begins to mask false teachings, softening our senses to the truth. And so all of these things would begin to arise as we begin to see people depart from the faith giving heed to doctrines of demons. What does he mean by doctrines of demons? He literally means teachings and practices that are influenced by demonic activity. That would begin to happen. And so these are things we need to take note of. An apostasia, a defection that's going to happen. And I believe that we're already beginning to see that today. It's an amazing time that we live in. People who we thought were strong in their faith and now we look at them and, and, and they seem as though they're moving away from their faith. People who we never thought would be strong in their faith are getting on fire and repenting and turning to the Lord. There is an apostasy and what's going to happen in the Christian church is that there's a decision that's going to be uh, going to have to be made by believers. Believers are going to actually or people who call themselves believers who go to church on Sunday morning are going to have to make a decision whether they're going to fully wholeheartedly follow the Lord or whether they're going to turn away. Now, I've been sharing with you from Matthew's gospel in times past, Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13. I believe that Jesus hints towards this. Remember in Matthew 24, verse eight, Jesus says, all these are the beginning of sorrow, speaking of wars and rumors of wars and and pestilences and famines in various places. These are the beginnings of sorrows. These are, if you will, the beginnings of birth pains is what it means leading up to the end. But then Jesus says this, listen, he says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Jesus says that all nations will hate you for my name's sake. Why is that? Because there's a deception in the world. The world does not want believers to show up. The governor of New York could not stand when uh, Samaritan's Purse showed up to help the city of New York. You know, it's very interesting as you begin to look at this. Um, 
these things, these laws that they're passing to in various states to extend uh, the the right to abortions and to, to destroy life. And it's very interesting. But then they hate when believers show up to do good. But Jesus says they will deliver you up. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10. And then many will be offended. That word offended means that many will have a stumbling block put before them. They will be offended and they will betray one another and they will hate one another. Mark says it will be that brother would hate brother. Jesus says, do you think that I came for peace? No, for a sword. Jesus described when it really comes down to it, even households will be divided over the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're living in a time even right now where the Christian church is going to be faced with decisions that we have to make. And I have to be sold out for Christ now. So when the time comes, uh, you know, this is leading up before the rapture, that when the time comes, I will make a stand. I will make a stand to represent Jesus Christ, to be the leader I'm supposed to be for my family. So my children can see someone who's so sold out for Christ that it doesn't matter what the world is doing. I'm going to focus on him that the church congregation that I lead can see that, you know what, I would rather put my life in danger than to turn away from Jesus Christ. And so that's the kind of person I want to be. Now, let me share some verses with you before I close out. Jesus gives this parable in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus says this in verse 24. He put forth this saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. And the servants of the owner came and said, Sir, did we not sow good seed in your field? How then does, do we have tares? Now, the difference between wheat and tares is this. As they are growing up, they look exactly the same. You can't tell the difference. It's not until harvest time comes that you can even tell the difference because when harvest time comes, the real uh, wheat has grain in it, wheat grain, which makes it heavy so it kind of bows down. The tares, which have nothing in it, continue to sprout forward and stand up. And so the difference is the wheat has productive fruit within itself, whereas the tares has none. And so they say, well, 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 well what happened here? Um, and he, the master, says, an enemy has done this. And the servant says, well, do you want us to, us to then go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that, the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Later, Jesus gives the answer to the parable in verse 37. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil and the harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. And we see a near and far fulfillment even to what Jesus has given in that parable. I believe that prior to the rapture of the church, there literally will be, if you will, a, 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 a obvious picture of the two with the apostasy 
as there are tares amongst the weak, even right now. And the apostasy will, will, will begin to reveal what some of those who appear to us now to be believers will run out. Why? Because Jesus says that there's a persecution coming in Matthew 24. You'll be hated by all nations and only those who stand for Christ will continue to represent him when that begins to happen. The far fulfillment is when Jesus comes at the end of the age and he gathers all the nations before him and separates them and the wicked he casts uh, away and then the, those who, who, uh, who belong to him he takes into the kingdom. But right now what's happening, listen, what's happening is a distinction is about to be made in the world where those who believe will stand for Jesus and those who in their hearts are, 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 have never submitted to him fully some of them will begin to fall away. They will, apostasia in the Greek, they will defect. Jesus is not their Lord, and that will become evident. So here's what we got to do. You got to ask yourself simply. You got to examine your own life. The Bible says examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. That's what we're called to do. That's what we all need to do. And as we see things begin to change in the world, we truly need to do that. Because if you love Jesus, then there's nothing more glorious than, than him coming for us and we being with him for all eternity. And there is nothing on this side worth missing that to escape something for a moment. So let me ask you right now, as you are listening to my voice, that you really need to examine your own life. Who is Christ Jesus to you? Is he your Lord and Savior? Have you surrendered to him? Do you know for sure that his spirit is in, your, in, in you, leading and guiding you? Are you willing to profess him even when it becomes very unpopular? Because as a church, we have decisions to make as the next few months unfold. I know that. I'm not talking about Calvary Chapel of Clayton. I'm talking about those who believe. Are we going to stand with Jesus Christ or are we going to turn and go with the way of the world? Listen, the Bible's very clear. God sent his son, born of a virgin. That means that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, a supernatural event as God became a man. He lived among us a perfect life without sin. He laid that perfect life down to pay for sin because that's what the law required. So Jesus gave his life to pay for yours. Do you believe that? He was nailed to the cross and, and he died. He was buried and three days later, he was resurrected. Why? To display victory so that we know that there is life and, and, and truth in the, in the word of God. And that because he was resurrected, we too will be resurrected. So we don't even have to fear death anymore. And so that's the true gospel message. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then and you profess that, then Jesus has saved you and poured his spirit into you. Now you need to come out from among the world and the deception that's in the world. And this needs to be the, your reality. This needs to be everything in what you believe. Turn to Jesus and experience life. Hey, I love you. It's Pastor Kevin. Look forward to coming with you, uh, together with you again next week as we will then look at the rapture of the church. Hey, tune in Sunday morning as I look at the coming world leader, Revelation chapter 6. I got to go back and cover some things. It's going to be exciting times. God bless you. And that's the biblical perspective.